0: Hey guys this is Pastor Zach and you are listening to sermon notes here at HPC turn with me to um, Ezekiel we 're going to be in chapter 46 here this is still high from Kamanapali last week so I 'm just gonna get it where it belongs I, uh, I love I love this book um, because I feel like there's such a cool Bridge built here for us between uh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Law, and forever. And a lot of times we get fixated on the now. We get fixated on the moment, and and it's like the moment is just this speck in this line of eternity that the Lord's painting. And so, I, I specifically I was talking to Stephen Salvatore, one of our elders this morning, about how much we both love Ezekiel because. Um, I feel like there 's such a, a beautiful messianic image that 's painted in the visions that Ezekiel sees in the way that he prophesies and so there 's some discrepancy surrounding it there's some you know folks are you know, interpret things different ways thank you thank you so much. Um, folks um, bring different uh, sort of different metaphors and analogies to the table when we 're interpreting ezekiel 's visions and there 's a lot out there. Uh, but we're going to just take a couple of verses today in the middle of some, of some of Ezekiel getting direction from the Lord of what the new temple is going to look like. Ezekiel was, he, he had this prophetic, like we said, bridge between what Israel understood and what Israel would become. And I, I think that it's important for us to be able to marry the two as well, what we understand about uh, who God has been and who he is and how he wants to reveal himself and the implications that has on us. So this is a really a, a pretty simple message, uh, but we're going to begin in Ezekiel 46, verse 16. And if you would go there with me, I'm in the new international version today. I know. This is actually this is actually a couple's Bible. This is like a and there's like stuff in here on like how to make your marriage better. So I'll be raffling this off after the uh I'm just kidding. I don't even know where we got this from, but it's been in my bedside table and I'm getting desperate. Uh not for our marriage, but for a Bible translation I can actually work with. Ah, uh, thank you, Lord. Okay, so Ezekiel forty six sixteen. So again, this is this is on the heels of how uh, how the offerings would be would be taking place, and specifically Ezekiel is on how the prince will arrive at. The temple to make offerings, which is interesting how even that has its own set of sort of instructions and how those instructions are indicative of the return of Jesus and uh, the role of Christ in, uh, in eschatology, in the sort of the future of the church, in apocalyptic literature. But we see the prince, and Ezekiel lays it out exactly like he's to come through the eastern gate. Right. And so um, there's a lot of, you know, that's one of the common things that will tie sort of these pictures to. That's why the people up in northern Maine think that they're going to see him first. Uh, you, know, you know who you are if you're planning on being in Kent, Fort Kent up there when Jesus comes back. But the deal is the Eastern Gate is really important um, because it, it's, uh, it, it gives this picture of Jesus showing up and really taking his rightful place as the prince in the temple. And he goes back and forth here from how, well, as Israel is restored, what it will look like to have royalty there. But there are these really intricate and interesting rules and statutes and laws that go along with the prince showing up and the prince taking his place here. Verse 16 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. If the prince makes a gift from his inheritance to one of his sons... Okay? If the prince makes a gift from his inheritance to one of his sons, it will also belong to his descendants. It is to be their property by inheritance. Okay? Most of us in here understand at least our idea of inheritance. We understand how that works. And uh, some of you are a little salty in here this morning and do a little altar call about how the inheritance was divvied up. Um, But it gets interesting. Verse 17 says, if, however, he makes a gift from his inheritance to one of his servants, okay, the servant may keep it until the year of freedom. Then it will revert to the prince. His inheritance belongs to his sons only. It is theirs. I want to stop right there uh, because... I feel like there is a a prophetic message in this for us today, and so don't get frustrated if, you know, you came expecting more scripture to be included in the message today. I get some emails sometimes from people who are like, you only read two verses. I want my offering back. (laughs) Uh, But there's so much here, and I want to dig deep for a few minutes The point is, is that the prince gives gifts. He gives gifts to his sons and he gives gifts to his servants. Some of your Bibles might translate that slave. And I think it's interesting to hear Jamal up here talking about uh, the idea of a slave giving himself over to his master completely. In his free will, deciding that it's better to be a part of this family than it is to work for this family. And that's kind of where we're going this morning, because I think we understand the, the idea of, of inheritance. You know, we love Romans telling us that we're going to be co-heirs with Christ. We love the idea of being called sons and daughters of God, right? And it's true that God wants to bestow gifts upon us this way, through Jesus, through his son, through the prince of peace, who is the King of Kings. He wants to give gifts this way. And as a son or a daughter of God, saints, we are indeed co heirs, inheriting with Christ. And that means that what belongs to the Father belongs to the family. However, Jesus also gives gifts to slaves, He gives gifts to servants. But there were stipulations around these gifts. And if you can go with me this morning and not get lost in semantics, but try to hear the heart of the father as he is seeing it fit to deliver this this detail to Ezekiel while Ezekiel is prophesying what the forever future of God's people would look like. If he gives a gift to a servant, the servant can only keep it until the year of freedom. Now, some of you are reading that and you're wondering, is that the year of Jubilee? And yes, it is. It's not the same Hebrew word. Uh, The word for Jubilee is literally like a a blast from a trumpet because the, the onset of the year of Jubilee would be marked by the blast of a trumpet. And if you're wondering what that is, if you didn't grow up in an old school church that taught on these things... Uh, every seven years, there would be a Sabbath year when Israel was instructed to allow the land to rest. You would not uh, farm the land the same way. You wouldn't prune back your orchards. You wouldn't cut back your vines. And you were not allowed to store up what, uh, what came forth that year. You could live off of it. You could eat off of it what was there, but you, you didn't work the ground. Whatever came naturally, you were allowed to take. That was every seven years, and it was called the Sabbath year. But every seven Sabbaths, every seven sevenths, which to this day people are arguing over whether that's the 49th year or the 50th year. But every seven sevenths, there was what was called a year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee, many of us today, we understand and have been taught that the, the year of Jubilee was when all debts were forgiven. And we love the idea of that, don't we? Anybody with student loans in here this morning? There's a, there's a friend of ours I used to play in a band with. <laughs> and uh, he, he doesn't go here anymore, so I can say this, at, at least in the first service. And, uh, and he was told by his dad. How many of y'all are just grateful for your father's wisdom passing down? So his dad's infinite wisdom imparted to him was this. If you don't pay your student loans, they will just go away. <laughs> it wasn't then. It might be true now, but it wasn't then. And my poor guy ended up just with like unimaginable loans. We love the idea of debt forgiveness, don't we? However we can do it, however we can pull it off. If I can just max out these credit cards to the point that I can claim bankruptcy, then there's gotta be some forgiveness in there somewhere. We're Americans, we love debt forgiveness. But I want to quick news flash on what the year of Jubilee really is. And uh, I would encourage you, go back and do some research and some reputable uh, commentators and what you'll find is that the land in Israel was never really sold, okay? It was leased. And it was leased. Uh, what, what was for sale in the selling transaction was the work and the, the produce of the ground. So what would happen is you would lease your land, but the lease period could, was maxed out by the year of Jubilee, so the 49 years would have been the maximum number of years. And at the end of that, the year of Jubilee was a lot less like debt forgiveness and a lot more like a mortgage burning party. Because it was at that time, wherever you, wherever you uh, came into contract along those 49 years, it would be the difference between that and the next year of Jubilee. And that's how that contract was written. And so come that year, it would be paid off. Does that make sense? So it was actually a celebration instead of debt forgiveness it was actually a celebration that Israel had paid off their debt. Imagine that. America? I love this because it it it's a picture again of how the Lord is interested in preserving inheritance. The reason he wouldn't let the land be sold but only worked is because when Israel first came into the promised land uh, under the leadership of Joshua, as as we talk all about the military victories that took place and how they, you know, they fought this nation and the Jericho fell down and they, they beat this tribe and so on and so forth. But what was happening was the land was being distributed. And at the year of Jubilee, it would be redistributed or reallotted or reverted, rather, back to the families and the tribes to whom it originally belonged. And I think that this is such a, this is such a cool picture for us to understand because um, it was put in place, the year of Jubilee was put in place to ensure that the promised land, as distributed by God, would revert back to whom it was intended at least once in every generation. Now, even if you look up how long was a biblical generation, it gets really confusing because some people say uh, 25 years, some people say 30, some people say 35, some people say between 40 and 70 years, um, depending on a bunch of different things. But if you look at this 49, 50-year marker, every generation whether it starts or ends before or in the middle or after that year of Jubilee, it's seeing the reversion of the land back to itself, back to whom it was intended. If it had been every 100 years, it wouldn't have worked that way. But the Lord knows what he's doing. And so I want to talk about generations for a minute, and I want to understand what this might mean for a Jesus who loves to give gifts, a Jesus who loves to to impart to us things by which we might produce fruit. Because we're here to produce fruit, saints. We're not just here to eat it. We're here to produce it. We're here to plant it, to harvest it, to cultivate it. And uh, as I'm reading this and kind of asking the Lord, you know, I've never preached out of this message, this, this couple of verses before, and I'm asking the Lord, what's going on here? And the Lord just is drawing my attention more and more to this idea of the servant signing a contract, coming into covenant, if you will, for a piece of property on which he can work, she can work. And then getting to work. Now, my challenge today as a pastor, as any believer, hopefully, we share this challenge, is that why why are we having such a hard time passing on the goodness of God to the next generation? I don't think it's just me. Why do believers have so much trouble reproducing the favor and the promises of God in our children? Why, why, why has it become this like like one of our, our greatest prayers is for prodigals to come back or for, or for the, the, the next generation that seems lost or that feels like they're, they're having trouble owning the faith that we've raised them in? And the Lord's reminding me of these prayers and how many countless conversations I've had with parents over the last decade and a half. And I believe, saints, it's because that while we have the heart of a son or a daughter of God, we still have the mindset of a slave. We still have a mindset of a slave. And the difference is incredibly important when it comes to fruit, when it comes to legacy, when it comes to passing something on. Because for a slave, see, here's the funny thing. For a slave, the year of freedom, which by the way, again, it's not called in Ezekiel the year of jubilee. It's called the year of freedom, Day Roar. They roar this word. Some of your Bibles might translate liberty, the year of liberty. And again, as modern American Christians, it's so easy to read that and jump up and down because we're so excited that our debt is forgiven or that maybe our debt is paid off. Either way you look at it. But if you can see this through the eyes of the Father, if you can see this through the eyes of the one who gave the gift, here's the funny thing. When Jesus gives gifts, he doesn't want them back. The only difference is slaves get gifts too, but sons don't have to give them back. Sons don't have to pass them back when the year of freedom comes. What's the year of freedom? Well, that word, they Roar, uh, that word is actually... It it comes from this sort of root meaning that means spontaneity of outflow or free flowing. The first place it's used this is so beautiful. The first place it's used is in the first ingredient that was given for the mixture of oil that was to be used to anoint the tabernacle. Going all the way back, you know what it was? Myrrh. 500 shekels of free-flowing myrrh. Pure is another word associated with this idea because when it's flowing free, it hasn't sat there, it hasn't uh, you know, fermented or whatever else can happen. It hasn't become cesspoolish. It's free-flowing, so it's clear, it's pure, it's fresh. And as I'm reading this, I'm asking the Lord, what, but what does that mean? What does it mean that you, you mark a year of, uh, of freedom, a year of jubilee, you set this aside. And by the way, Israel was sort of notorious for not practicing the year of jubilee. And so it is said in scripture that the number of years they spent in Babylonian exile corresponded to the number of jubilees they forgot about. There is a bondage association here without not understanding what's happening, right? But I'm asking the Lord, okay, what, what, is, what is this spontaneity of outflow? What is this overflow, uh, this, this, um, the, this rapidly moving overflow? And I, I feel the Father sort of like prodding me on this. He says, well, what does it sound like to you? It sounds like a move of the Holy Spirit. It sounds like a move of the Holy Spirit. A spontaneous overflow of something pure, something fresh, something that was the first ingredient in how the tabernacle was to be anointed, the fragrance that would be smeared on all of these priests and all of these articles and all of this furniture okay, I can go with that, Lord. And so as I prayed into this, I felt like the Lord draw my attention to the difference between the slave and the son in this setting, both of whom have received gifts, both of whom have land which they can work, both of whom are bearing fruit for a generation. But for a slave, the year of... Freedom and favor, the year of liberty. For a slave, see, I don't think he'd be looking forward to that year. We like the idea of it because, oh, mortgage burning, yeah, that sounds great. But for a slave, the year of Jubilee separates you from what you've been working for. It separates you. It says, okay, this is the reminder every 49 years. Here's another letter in the mail that just reminds you that everything you've been working for isn't really yours. You've been earning enough to live on, but not anything to pass on to the next generation. For a son, for a son, the year of jubilee points toward everything you're working for. Points toward everything that you value. You see in this in this time period one thing they got right. They understood that no matter how bad we want it, we have to want it more for our children. No matter how how, uh, much we're desperate for it, we need to be more desperate that our grandkids see it than we are that we do. And so, saints, if you can come with me on this trip for another minute or so, I'm asking you to understand that a move of a holy of the holy spirit today which by the way oftentimes feels like it comes along right around once every generation a real outpouring real revival but what's interesting about it the anatomy of revival, what's interesting about if you, if you really break down what a move of the Holy Spirit does, whether it's on like a, a miniature level, like in a, in, a, in a Sunday morning service at an altar or on like a national level with like a, a great awakening type, type move. A move of the Spirit, saints, exposes the difference between the mindset of a slave and the mantle of a son. And I, I wonder today if that's why many believers are afraid of that move. While there are some of us who are jumping up and down and we can't wait to see God move, or we think we can't, there are others who are nervous about a, a, a real move. What happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move freely? What happens when we get pure Holy Spirit not Holy Spirit that we bottled, you know, and slapped a label on and sold on, you know, the Bible network. What, what happens when we get, what happens when we get pure, unadulterated, free-flowing, spontaneous Holy Spirit? What happens? Stuff gets exposed. And we begin to realize when what we thought was the mantle of a son was really the mindset of a slave. Because we start, to, we start to take inventory of how well we've been able to reproduce these promises in the next generation. Wait a minute. I've been doing this work. Oh, but now I'm just reminded that it's just work. See, here's the funny thing. Whether you're a prince or, or a, a, a pauper, whether you're a son or a slave, the same work has to be done on the field. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, it, no matter who, who owns it, if the king gives you a gift and you're a slave to the king or a son to the king, if, if you want to make that field work for it, you you still have to plow the rows. You still have to plant the seeds. You still have to water it. You still have to pluck the weeds. You still have to do all the stuff. Prune back the vines. You still have to do all the stuff. The only difference is at the end, one gets to keep it and one has to give it back. And I'm, I'm concerned for the church today because many of us are working but we've attached a stigma to work. We've attached a stigma to plowing, to planting, to harvesting, to pruning, to feeding sheep. We've attached a stigma to it because there's still a slave mindset. On, and I love what Kamana pali said last week about, the, uh, about Martha and Mary because he put a different spin on it, didn't he? If you were here, it's so good. Was that last week? Yeah, yeah it was, wasn't it? It's been a long week. Thank you to King's Board for putting on an incredible gala. Thank you to all of you guys who came out. So good. So good. Thank you to those of you who donated things. And just a really cool partnership and joint effort by everybody. Um, I feel that, that the stigma attached to work It's because we haven't haven't seen the legacy build momentum the way that the Lord wants us to. Because if we did, we would know that we're not working for ourselves. We're working for something that will outlive us. We're invested in something that's greater than, you know, oh, uh, it's so easy to try and, try to raise money for a sanctuary by saying, hey, if you give $20, you get a hard chair. And if you give $50, you get a cushy chair. (laughs) But if we said, if you give $20, you get a hard chair. And if you give $1,000, you still get a hard chair, but your kids get a place to grow up and be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive the call of God on their lives. See, there's a difference there. We we've got to be able to to see the next generation. And with the mindset of a slave, all we think about is the work and what we get out of it in our lifetime, in our generation. And so it's easy to get jaded. It's easy to, to to develop like a like PTSD around the work that's required of us for the kingdom in order for the kingdom to come. It's easy for us to, to, why? Because we're still thinking like slaves. We're still thinking that we have to give it up. We're still thinking like, like who are we? Who do we think we are being afraid of death? That was, my, that was my greatest problem with COVID. Not that COVID was a conspiracy. Although, you know, I love those conversations too. My, great, my, 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 my favorite conversation was like, so we all die. I'm thinking, that save us a lot of trouble. It <laughs> means nobody has to deal with whether or not they get hard seats or cushy seats. <laughs> We're all getting hard seats in heaven. I'm like, I'm like we, we lose sight. We lose sight of the legacy. We lose sight of the inheritance. We lose sight of the most important piece of all of this. And everything becomes fear-based. Well, what happens when this expires? What happens when this is over? What happens when when it dries up? What happens when the Spirit moves? And I'm exposed as a slave instead of a son. Because until the Spirit moves, we're all just down here plowing Until the Spirit of God moves, we're all just down here working, toiling. We're all just down here doing it. John says it, doesn't he? He says, The servant abideth not in the house a long time. Why? Because the Spirit's going to move in order to identify a generation of sons, of daughters. Creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons and daughters. And you know what's crazy? It doesn't happen until the spirit moves. And when the spirit moves, all of a sudden, we see those who who are still bound up in religiosity. We see those who are still defined by law, who are still working towards uh, some element of favor. And then On the other side of that move, you also see real sons and daughters, the ones who are afraid of nothing, the ones whose only concern is to make sure that this field is ready for the next generation, to make sure that this parcel of land that was given to me is passed on in such a way that it can yield a greater harvest than it ever has. I, um, I think many of us, in a lot of ways, we've talked a lot about the revelation of the Father and over the last couple of years, just how I believe that the marker of the revival that we're in is not a revelation of the Son or of the Spirit as much as it is a revelation of the Father and understanding His heart in a way that we haven't. And in a way, I, I would say that is the move of the Spirit right now. Um, that is the the active agent of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's what he's illuminating and revealing to us is a rediscovery of who the father is and what it means to call ourselves children of God. Because it's so cliche, isn't it? It's so like, I'm a child of God, Father Abraham and many sons. It's like the Christian twister, you know? A little workout in there too. But at the end of the day, the spirit moving and us determining again who our father is, rediscovering what his heart is for us is is absolutely going to reemphasize our sonship and daughterhood. And it's also gonna highlight who is still living in that mindset of a slave. It's still, it's, it's going to, it's going to underscore and circle. It's going to be unavoidable. And I want us to brace ourselves for this because when the spirit moves, it, it shakes. I mean, Lily just sang it best, right? Break up the ground of all my tradition and shake up, shake up religion everything that we've built on, if we're building on that mindset of, I have to work, I have to uh, whatever, white, so I can eat, so I can feed my family, instead of, no, I'm working this because it's been entrusted to me for the next generation, for our children's children. That's why it's so easy to get up here and talk about King's Academy. That's why it's so easy to get up here and talk about... SOS, because the investment of education is not for the the pompous arrogance of academic achievement. It's for the sake of investment. It's for the sake of seeing a generation grow up and understand the word of God and the heart of the Father to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we're all on this journey. We all start off as slaves. We all start off in bondage, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as God revealed himself to Egypt in him rescuing them from, from, uh, from slavery, so too does he reveal to us himself as father. Yesterday, I was um, down the street at the O'Briens. They called up. They were having a graduation party for Nevaeh. They called me up and they, Doug was like, hey, I've got some mulch here that needs to be gone by the time this graduation party starts. And I'm like, oh, cool, like I'll come. I'm thinking it's like a tractor bucket load or something. And I get, you know, see the picture and it's like a mountain of mulch. And he needed to move so people could actually pull in the driveway, you know? And so I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So I grabbed Sawyer and I say, Sawyer, drive the tractor down to the O'Briens. I'm gonna be right behind you with the trailer. And so, he takes off down the street, and I am driving behind him, flashers on, proud as a peacock, you know, my son is driving a tractor. You know, you move to New England, and you're not sure if you're able to pass on the redneck inheritance until, until you see your son. I'm like, got my phone out, taking pictures of him, driving down, you know, it just blessed my heart. And... Uh, out of all the kids, he definitely got the most redneck DNA. And I'm just excited about that. And, um, and so we, we, we're, we back up into the driveway and he's up there and, uh, and I'm scooping it up, dumping it in the trailer and him and Doug got the shovels out and Carrie came out with the blower. It was like a family affair. Caitlin came out, thank you Caitlin, for just project managing. Uh, just making sure everything was safe, holding us you know, OSHA standard checklist, hard hat. Thank you for that. What a blessing. And uh, Nevaeh came out just to make sure we were going to be done by the time the party started. So like, what a blessing there too. Anyway, so we're like at the very end, everything's done. We're blowing it off. Everything's beautiful. Sawyer hops on the track. I'm like, all right, take the tractor home, buddy, and I'll meet you back. And I'm blowing it out of the corner of my eye. I see the trailer like jolt, like this big, like, go, go, And I'm like, and as I turn over. He had driven the tractor into the car there. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> and, uh, and I see him, like, slowly turn his head. This, like, look of panic and fear just, like, all over his face. And I'm telling you, guys, the Holy Spirit is working on me. Like, I... I I cannot think of a time when I was this sanctified, okay? (laughs) And I saw his face and I was just like, overwhelmed with this, like, all I wanna do is like, make sure he knows that it's okay. Like, all I wanna do is just like, tell this kid, thank you for coming up in here and helping me today. And so I was like, it's all right, buddy, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, it's like, it's fine. Why don't I, I'll t- you know, now there's people arriving and like there's, the O'Briens have way more expensive cars than we do and I'm thinking, let me get the tractor down to the end of the driveway, you know, then you can drive it back home. Because I think, you know, he thought he was like in big trouble and I'm like, you know what? It's all gonna be yours one day. It's all gonna be yours. Isn't that how it works? If I can get out of the mindset of a slave And start thinking like a son. If I can get away from working for the sake of making things as nice as they can be now. And instead, the more important thing, more important than the rear quarter panel of our vehicle, right? Is how my son walks away from this thing. What is he carrying? What's instilled in him? What what does he get to keep forever long after we trade that car in? And saints, I want to encourage you, not not just when it comes to your children, but when it comes to yourself. Like this isn't just about giving your kids free passes on like epic fails. That's not what this is, although that's part of it. It's about understanding the bigger picture of what God wants for us. And that when the spirit moves on your heart, really freely when we really take the restrictions off him, which is what we aim to do here. That's what HPC is. That's why we're here, is to surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. It's to hear from him like an unadulterated, unperverted, untainted, as close to straight from the source as we can get. And when we get that anointing, when we get that free flowing 500 shekels of myrrh, when we touch that year of the favor of our Lord, you know, this is the same word that is used when Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news, to bind up brokenhearted and to set the captives de Roar, liberty. It's that kind of freedom. He's talking about captives being set free. But there's a differentiation when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. There were captives and there were sons. And he, in that story, is a son. He's now on the giving end. He is now on the releasing end. As soon as you get a gift, when you're a son, you're not even thinking about the gift. You're thinking about who you're passing it to. That's the mindset of a son. And I'll tell you, leading a, a church, leading an organization that, that has all these different ministries orbiting around and touching and, and interacting and crossroads and all different beautiful, incredible things are happening in different churches and homes and stuff's expanding all the time. And I'll tell you what, the greatest indicator of a leader to me, the greatest uh, demarcation, the 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 like... The number one go-to thing for Ashley and I when we see people, it's this. It's, it's the, the however epic their gift is, however awesome their anointing is, however incredible their talents are and however well they've used them, it disappears into who's on the receiving end. I'll sit down with somebody and they'll tell me all about their ministry all about their field, all about how they plow, all about how they sow, all about how they harvest. And then you'll sit down with a son or a daughter and their field is 100 times bigger than the last one, but all they can think about is who's getting it next. All they can think about is who's on the receiving end. All they can think about, all they can talk about because from their heart, their mouth speaks and their heart is sonship. Their heart understands that when God gave those gifts, he didn't want them back. Yeah. They understand that, that we're longing and crying and calling out for a move of the Holy Spirit. For what? To remind the sons of what we're working for. Right. And to remind the slaves that when, when you are rescued, when you are brought out of captivity, you have a choice. And that choice is whether or not you want to marry into the family. Because just because you're a slave today doesn't mean you have to be a slave tomorrow. Just because you're a servant today. We love serve language, don't we? Serve teams, we call them. Serve heart of a, he says a servant's heart. (laughs) I wish he had a son's heart. you do the same work it's not about like oh we 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 glorify our serve servers so that they'll do more work no sons do the same work with a different mindset with a different mantle would you stand with me this morning i know some of you you're like zach you had one point today just one point glad i didn't put my tithe in the box yet From the giver's perspective, from the king's perspective, you have all this land, and you want it worked. So you're giving it out to anybody. You're, you're signing leases. You're signing contracts. Many are called, right? Many are called. But why are few chosen? Because it's so, it's so hard to move past that transactional business mindset. It's so hard when the spirit of God comes and moves and, and, and we're exposed for where we're really at. It requires a decision on our part. Okay, Lord, my heart, is a son's heart but lord there's still some things in my life that need to change there's still some things in my life that i'm working for for the sake of myself instead of for the sake of your kingdom there's still some things that i'm, I'm caught up in um, i'm caught up in 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 making myself a better version of myself there's still some areas where I'm, I'm trying to life coach myself into, you know, a better place. It's all slave thinking. The prince loses himself in the gift for the purpose of who receives it. And if you have kids in this room this morning who you're praying for, who you're interceding for, in fact, we have time this morning, let's do this. If that's you and you have kids and maybe you'd call them prodigals or maybe you'd say, well, no, they're they're actually here with me in church today, but I need them to own it. I need them to own this thing. They still see it as as their parents' faith, their parents' church, their parents' Christianity, whatever it is. I need them to own it. If that's you, would you step out of your seat and meet me down here? I want to spend some time in prayer this morning. Uh, Just a few minutes in prayer, but I think there's a key to this. I think there's a key to this, and it's, and it's not as tricky as it seems. It, we always see it as something that take a few more steps forward. I won't bite unless I have to. Here we go. There's a key to this, and we always think it's like something has to click in my kids. Like, like you know what? My son has got to learn how to drive that tractor. He's gotta learn how to work it in neutral. He's gotta learn how to apply the brakes. He's gotta learn how to whatever, raise the bucket when you need to. If I could just get him to learn how to drive that tractor, I could pass on the family business. But you know what? That's not what has to click. What has to click is in us. What has to click is in us. We've gotta stop seeing this like something we have to teach we have to start seeing this as an inheritance it's an inheritance receiving an inheritance is not a a, a a lesson it's a gift receiving an inheritance is is understanding that there's a legacy that's bigger than me there were people working long before me and there will be those working long after me and I've been entrusted with something what are you entrusting to your children. What are you entrusting them with? Because our way of doing this is like, I ain't gonna trust you with anything until you can show me, until you can prove to me X, fill in the blank. We've gotta become sons. We've gotta become daughters. We've gotta look at the gift that's been given to us and know that it was only given to us to pass on. Regardless of whether or not you think that that your children are ready for it or regardless of whether or not you think that they that they have what it takes to do this thing right. Let me tell you something. They're going to run into your car with your tractor. OK, they're going to mess it up. You won't do it. Perfect. Perfect. There's no perfect way to do it. The perfect way to do it is work the field. Work the field. Work the field. Work the field. Not for you. Not for the cushy chair in the big room. For your kids. Work the field. Build the kingdom. Someone's inheriting it. You've been entrusted to pass it on. And I believe with my whole heart that the move of the Holy Spirit that we pray for, the same move that helps us distinguish, that helps us to feel the conviction that's required to know where I'm missing it, God, that move, that free-flowing myrrh, that that outpouring, spontaneous outpouring of heaven, it's going to rest on our kids too. You can't make it happen. I see parents trying to drag their kids up to the altar, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Twisting, kicking, screaming, and stay there, you know, till you get it right. That doesn't work. You know why? Because that's not free-flowing. That's us trying to bottle it, shake it, come home. No, all we can do is, God, until you move again, until you pour yourself out again, Lord, help me work this field as a son and not a slave. Forgive me when I haven't been able to see the forest for the trees, when I haven't been able to see the kingdom for the field I'm in. Forgive me when this has become labor-intensive and toilsome. Forgive me when I've reverted back to slave. Lord, give us the mind and the heart of sons and daughters. God, I pray over every one of my brothers and sisters at this altar this morning. And Lord, I pray that as your spirit continues to move in this place, as you continue to pour yourself out, Lord, even unto an overflow, Lord, let this thing expose in us where where we're treating our field Like a slave. We're treating our legacy like a slave. We're seeing an expiration date where you say it's eternal. God, I pray, Father, uh, that we would catch your heart on this. And Lord, no matter what or how things have been passed on to us, Lord, we take what we have today and we acknowledge that it is a gift from the Prince. It is a gift from the Prince. A prince who wants sons more than he wants slaves. A prince who desires that we all become those co-heirs in every capacity. And so, Lord, I pray over the children that are represented at this altar this morning. God, you know the ways that we've, uh, that we've caused damage and brought harm. Lord, even in our good intentions, even in our best efforts, Lord, when we were trying to to make them to be better stewards or more responsible or take ownership of all the same rules and the same standards and the same whatever, Lord, that were imposed on us, God, I pray, Lord, that we would come back to you from this. And God, if they see anything in us, that they would see a humility, Lord, to recognize that as sons, God, we're not working for ourselves but we were working for them the whole time. So God, we pray over the the failed marriages, Lord, over the addiction. We pray over over the the lost places, God. We pray over um, broken sexualities that are represented at this altar. We pray over, uh, Lord, God, every one of these fields that feels as if it's been forsaken or forgotten, And God, we uh, prophesy over the seeds that were sown. Lord, even if our mindset was wrong when we sowed them, God, your word does not return void. Never, ever, ever does it return void. And so, Lord, this year of Jubilee, God, this year of freedom, this year of your favor, God, let those seeds come alive. Let that truth shoot up out of the ground. God, wherever we've been wrong, wherever we've messed this up, we repent. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for seeing the work in, instead of the kingdom being built. Lord, I pray that, that uh, God, in the most subtle of ways that our children would take note of it. Our Father's Day is coming up. Lord, I pray over these children, Lord, that, that by Father's Day of this year, Lord, that something would, uh, something would shift. Somewhere the ground would break. Somewhere, God, life would shoot up and, and bring the reminder of the inheritance that we've been called to. Yes. That with it would come the fruit of a harvest, the rendering of a life that can be lived for you, for your name, for your glory. Lord, may we become good stewards of your outpouring. Come on, just before you go, let's sing this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn. Sing that again, say... I feel like you just need to hear this before you go. We're gonna keep singing this and if you need to sneak out, that's fine, but just before you go, you need to hear this, that whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever the the blockage is that you feel like your son, your daughter, your children, that generation is dealing with, know this, that it is bigger in your eyes than it is in the Father's. It's bigger in your eyes we see these things we've turned them into monsters and the lord says hey just like he said just like he said to samuel to let the philistines know you're plagued with rats and tumors make a little model of them the size that they really are and bring them into my presence put them in the ark Whatever that thing is, you've made it into a mountain. And that mountain has become a high place. And your prayers and your offerings and your worship have all been marked by what we've made a high place when the Lord said, I don't even see it. I'm not looking at that. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the truth that was invested in them and I see the potential of what it can become. We thank you for it, Lord. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.